When a child comes to school and says, I think I'm a boy, they launch immediately into immediately affirming the child and not telling the parents, deliberately not telling the parents, having a policy saying, you won't tell the parents. If the parents won't support them, that will hurt the child and therefore you can't tell them. Welcome to the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. It's Fearless with Mark and Amber. I'm your co-host, Amber Archer, and joining me as usual is my husband, Mark Archer. Hello. We are a husband and wife team sharing behind the scenes of our filmmaking ministry, Fearless Features, and our new documentary film, The Mind Polluters. Mark, you want to tell everybody what The Mind Polluters is all about for those who are just joining us? Well, The Mind Polluters explores uh, what's happening with our schools with this comprehensive sex ed, social emotional learning, critical race theory. What is all this? How does it all tie together? Because they're all joined at the hip. Mm -hmm. They're all roots of the same weed, if you will. And we found ourselves last fall, it was about this time last year, we we started hearing about criti- uh, comprehensive sexual education mm-hmm. and we started asking questions. What is this and why is this here? And started educating ourselves on what this is. And um, that's what the film is about. What is it? How did we get to this point and what can we do about it? Yeah, because I think there's so many as we've gone along here and I'm really excited to see sort of the tide change and parents <laughs> beginning to get involved in the school. And I think a lot of that had to do with COVID-19 and all of the the shutdowns of the schools. And mm-hmm. so parents now had a better understanding of what their kids were being taught. I mean, while everybody's talking about critical race theory at the moment, at the time of this recording, you know, comprehensive sex ed is still being pushed. Oh, yeah. It's still going into the school systems even more so. They, it's a better chance that your kids are getting indoctrinated through comprehensive sex ed- education than they are the critical race theory. Yeah. In fact, I would venture a guess that organizations like Planned Parenthood are more than giddy that everybody is sweating it over critical race theory yeah. right now because that's Although they're joined at the hip, that's not Planned Parenthood's bag. Right. That is, the Planned Parenthood is more interested in sexualizing and indoctrinating your kids with sexual propaganda and turning them into future clients. Right. So you can learn more about our filmmaking ministry and the Mind Polluters by visiting our website, fearlessfeatures.org. It's also a great place to search the archives and subscribe to the show so you never miss one of these informative and relevant programs. And today, we're excited to introduce to you another member of the cast in our new documentary film, The Mind Polluters. But before we do that, we want to continue sharing current events that are impacting our children at their schools, especially those in the public education system. Every morning, it feels like <sighs> not just a garden hose, but a fire hydrant turned in your face. Because <laughs> so, this stuff just comes flying at you. Right. And so here's where it gets really alarming. And I think, you know, we as Christians... We need to understand we cannot sit this one out. Like This is of utmost importance to our children, to our families, to society, to the Lord, because it's it's just disturbing. So recently, President Biden's education secretary got into a testy exchange with a Republican congresswoman as the cabinet official refused to say how many genders there are now. Should we talk about this or do you want to just play the clip? 
Oh, let's just play the clip and then we'll talk about it afterwards. Okay. Thank you, Chairman, Ranking Member Fox, and Secretary Cardona. Your department recently released this resource for students and families called Confronting Anti-LGBTQI Plus Harassment in Schools. This document gives an example of harassment, which is a teacher telling students that there are only two genders, boys and girls. Before we start penalizing teachers for stating a genetic and biological fact about genders, can you please clarify for the committee how many genders there are? So I, I know what you're asking, but I'm going to get to the root of what you're asking. I feel very strongly that as educators, we are, it's our responsibility to protect all students. You, you used as an example of harassment, a teacher who stated there are only two genders, male and female. That's a genetic and biological fact. That is an example you are you, under your leadership that you are putting out to people. How many genders are there? How would you uh, respond to a student who uh, is non-binary in your classroom? But how many genders are there? Will you please state? I won't be answering your question. You can continue the line of question. Okay, so the document that she is referencing, I'm going to leave in the show notes for anybody who wants to look it up themselves. This is directly from the U.S. Department of Justice, Civil Rights Division, and partnered with the U.S. Department of Education, Office for Civil Rights. So if you go back last week's Fourth uh, of July special episode, the sermon that we had from 1982 with the late Dr. Francis Schaefer, and listen to that, he predicted that we would be at this point. And I think I'm right there with everybody else. I heard him several times uh, through the years talking about this mm -hmm. and predicting this, but mm -hmm. never actually believed that I would be living in this time where we're this bonkers off the rocker, yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where we're denying we're denying reality mm -hmm. because we don't like it because it hurts somebody's feelings that feelings can somehow change biology. Mm -hmm. uh, but here we are. But one of the things that has been really heavy on my heart is that we as a society, especially I'm talking to the church, we mm -hmm. have stopped long ago teaching the reality of spiritual warfare. Mm -hmm. um, it, in fact, Ken Ham talked about this all through his interview. Yeah. You know, trust in Jesus, Johnny. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that's, all, <laughs> that's all we hear. It's, just, it's about love and good feelings, and Jesus wants you to be happy. Mm -hmm. um, but we stopped. It, it, we, we've talked about this many times amongst ourselves. Who cares about forgiveness if I don't understand sin? Right. If there's... Listen, if I don't understand sin, then I don't need forgiven. Why do I need to go to church? Why do I, why do to, I have yeah. to understand what you Christian people believe? Right. Why do you I know? care? Who, why do I care who Jesus is? I don't need forgiven for anything. Right. Right. And that's exactly what we saw with George Klopfer. Right. I, I haven't done anything wrong. Our Inwood Drive movie. Right. He's mm -hmm. a man who's just spent his whole life saying, listen, I haven't done anything wrong. Right. And I'm perfectly justified in what I've done because on a different level, he justified his whole existence through this miserable life of his. Of aborting by, babies. Of killing babies mm -hmm. by his feelings. Yeah. And so um, 
in our church, in our little church, mm-hmm. we sing hymns out of hymnals. And it's wonderful. It is a wonderful thing. <laughs> our children love to sing the hymns. That's yes. what's the most the most amazing <clears throat> and what blesses my heart more than anything is when our children mm-hmm. sing the hymns even after Sunday morning. It doesn't they have picked up something because every Sunday we sing three new hymns. Mm-hmm. And our or two, old hymns. Our two almost three year old Caitlin sang at the cross. Yeah. <laughs> For the whole Wednesday night Bible uh-huh. study one night. Just, you know, she wanted to sing it for everybody. But anyway. Anyway, I was going through uh, one of our prized books in our family library here, and, and which is an old hymnal. And it's organized by sections, uh, by the kinds of songs that are in it. And one of the sections is called Christian Warfare. And I just thought it was fascinating, some of the titles of these these hymns. Faith is the victory. Soldiers of Christ arise. The fight is on. My soul be on thy guard. I am a soldier. And one of my and one of my old favorites from growing up is I'm in the Lord's army. Mm-hmm. Right. I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry. No. He, he listen. He only he only puts an emphasis on that because <laughs> I inevitably still sing it wrong, no matter how many times I try. You always sing Calvary, right in the Calvary. <laughs> it's cavalry. We don't name names. <laughs> okay, moving on. Anyway, because I'm in the Lord's army, because uh-huh. we've stopped. Yes, we've, sir. we've stopped teaching this this concept of of spiritual warfare. We used to understand this, and that's why. Uh, so much of this has taken us as a culture and especially the church completely by surprise because we don't teach this anymore. Mm-hmm. But um, it, I, I heard a clip the other day that I have to share with everybody. You've heard many people in these interviews for the Mind Polluters talk about spiritual warfare. And I think it's one of those things that kind of goes over our heads. Spiritual warfare, okay, bad feelings versus good feelings, or, you know, right. a lot of people don't have a concept of what this is. And I want to play a clip uh, from the Ohio uh, legislature. legislature. Mm-hmm. And this is a, a representative reading an amendment to a bill to protect women's sports from this transgender nonsense. Okay? And this is what Mary is going to dive into today, is, which so it, t- yeah. it ties right in along with what Let's we're talking about today. right into what Mary McAllister is going to talk to us about today. But I want you to listen to the interruption that happens and how quickly it turns violent. Mm-hmm. Give a listen. The chair has the amendment. The amendment appears to be in order. The representative may proceed. Wonderful. The Save Women Sports Act is a fairness issue for women to be able to achieve their dreams and athletics in our state. And it's crucial to preserving women's rights and the integrity of women's and girls' sports. Across our country, female athletes are currently losing scholarships, opportunities, medals, education, and training opportunities. This amendment will require schools that are part of the OHSAA to designate separate teams for participants of the biological sex. No school, inter- no school interscholastic conference or organization that regulates interscholastics shall permit biological males to participate on athletic team or an athletic competition designated only for biological female participants. Car- 
If you want to know what spiritual warfare sounds like, that's it. Oh, my goodness. I mean, that is and listen, if you if you if you can hear her words through all of the pounding and the mm-hmm. the booze and, and everything, I mean, she's advocating for for women, for women, for women's sports. Let's let's just keep biology facts. You know, this mental illness of transgenderism. It's more than a mental illness. This is a spiritual warfare issue. And what you're hearing there is absolutely demonic. This is what this is this is what it sounds like. It's not just somebody saying, I object, I've got another opinion. This is this is interrupt, shout you down, and how quickly it just turns to violent, drown you yeah. out, beating on the table. I and this isn't this 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 is in in a state house. Yeah, this I is mean, Ohio. This is, this is over in Columbus. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's I, right next door to us. And I can tell you with certainty that even the couple of state houses that we have been in for the mine polluters, especially mm-hmm. down in Indianapolis, while we never saw anything quite this extreme, there were several times when people came after me for being in there with a camera Mm -hmm. and you just, you feel the hair stand up on the back of your neck and you just know that something is up. And there were several times in Indianapolis where I knew that the enemy was at work. Mm -hmm. And I remember calling you from the car when I left, I left the state (laughs) house and I was like flooring it, trying to get out of there. I thought, I said, I feel like Indiana Jones escaping from the temple with the gold (laughs) like i just got away with something because i had the footage yeah and i was out of there right yeah because of this kind of thing this is demonic activity yeah so this is what it sounds like so let's get into our conversation and let me just introduce you guys kind of give you a little backstory of mary McAllister. so mary is a senior litigation counsel with child and parental rights campaign she is an experienced trial and appellate lawyer having advocated for parents rights and first amendment and first amendment rights at all levels of federal and state courts she has been an advocate for children's rights, particularly pr- the protection, particularly protection from the harms of early sexualization and sexual exploitation. She has nearly three decades of experience as an attorney, as well as a passion for protecting the innocence of children. Mary received her law degree from the University of California, Berkeley, and a Bachelor of Science degree, summa cum laude, in June in journalism from California Polytechnic State University. And she is also admitted to practice before the United States Supreme Court and in every federal circuit court of appeals throughout the country. And she's also licensed to practice in Virginia, California, and Florida. Mary has authored and co-authored numerous academic articles and white papers on the subject of gender identity, girls' body image, sexually explicit materials in public schools, Child Protection, and the Family and Civil Society, as well as columns in national news magazines. She was also a good friend of Judith Reisman. Dr. Judith Reisman from Liberty University. And worked with Judith on many, many reports. Mm -hmm. In fact, she was the first one who told us about Judith's passing. Yeah. So 
So without further ado, let's get to our conversation with Mary McAllister. Mary McAllister, and I am a senior litigation counsel at Child and Parental Rights Campaign, which is a nonprofit formed in 2019 to deal with uh, parental rights and children's rights uh, in the transgender arena, particularly. What kind of things have you seen that you've had to litigate that's been sort of alarming? Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, right now we're, we're litigating a case in Arizona that is a case where a 15-year-old girl um, who had mental health issues um, was taken from her parents by CPS, the equivalent of CPS, um, because they would not affirm her as a boy. And there's been a lot of misdeeds done there. And so uh, it's probably coming to a close soon, we hope. But it's been a very tragic and a very um, difficult case. And this was this is a, a couple, a Christian married couple, solid relationship, you, you know, no dysfunctions or anything. Um, but the daughter, you know, she had some mental health issues and then she got on the Internet and other influences. And she got checked into a, uh, a mental health facility for a while. And while she was there, that's when then the state swooped in and did their thing. And uh, she didn't see her parents. They haven't seen her really since September. And so we're in the, mostly my partner is, you know, working with a local attorney there and getting it so that hopefully now that they will regain custody of her and then they're going to have her go to an inpatient, uh, like a, a facility uh, out in the country where they help teens with those kind of issues. Mm -hmm. So we're hoping that will. Be. And then we, we have a couple of cases that we've dealt with where it's a custody issue and one parent um, wants to affirm the child as a boy, you know, the opposite sex, but the other parent does not. And so we represent the parent that does not and trying to make sure they retain their parental rights because the other parent is trying to uh, get full custody so that they can then go about doing all of the medical and surgical or whatever the child wants. So we've got a couple of those cases. And then we also are working with parents this is a more recent thing. Parents uh, who have their children in public schools and the public schools have taken it upon themselves to become the parent. And that when a child comes to school and says, I think I'm a boy, they launch immediately into immediately affirming the child and not telling the parents, deliberately not telling the parents having a policy saying you won't tell the parents because the parents, if the parents won't support them, that will hurt the child and therefore you can't tell them. Well, that violates parental rights, obviously, constitutionally. Mm -hmm. And in some states they have statutory law that says parents have the right. Um, they should, shouldn't need the statute, but it's there. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and the problem of it is, is it's not merely, and it, this isn't an educational issue. This is a mental health medical issue. And it's really none of the school's business. 
if your child was anorexic, you you would want to you, the parents would need to know and the, and the school should have nothing to do with that. But this is the equivalent of having an anorexic daughter and the school saying, uh, giving them diet pills and affirming them that, oh, yes, you're, you're too fat, honey, and you need to take diet pills and you need to keep dieting when they're wasting away. Now, in that case, of course, the parents are going to see the physical difference. That, that's, you know, here there's sometimes is not the physical change right away. Maybe the, maybe the girl has really short hair and she wears boyish clothes, but you know, that can be sort of more of a teenage, just rebellion thing. Uh, so you may not see the, the results like you would with an anorexic child, but the analogy is the same because this is a deals with their mental health. And unfortunately, uh, most all of the kids are vulnerable to begin with. Either they're the, you know, the product of, of a device of a divorce, or they've had sexual trauma as children, or some other issue there um, on the autism spectrum, or ADHD. And so they, they're already vulnerable to um, harm. And they, a lot of them aren't accepted by their peers, but they'll get accepted by this group, the transgender group, and they, who will encourage them to be who they really are, and they take them down that path. But in the meanwhile, the parents don't know this. And so suddenly the child comes home and says, I'm now John instead of Susie, and you need to call me John instead of Susie. Well, he's been being called, she's been called John now at school for maybe six months, and mom and dad don't know that. And they may even be letting them use the boy's bathroom as a girl or go on trips, the band trip, and stay with the boys in the hotel room. Some, some of the schools will do that. Parents will have no idea. How much of what's being taught is affirming them through the social emotional learning and comprehensive sex ed? Is that where it's coming from? Is, is that where the schools are getting the self-imposed authority to shepherd these children into these worldviews, mindset, where is this coming from? The, that's a, a large part of it. Um, the comprehensive sex ed and the social emotional learning, of course, now are merging. Uh, and so th th that's all part of it because part of the comprehensive sex ed these days is gender identity and the gender spectrum and all of these things. Another really major influence is the internet. And unfortunately, with, with COVID, with the COVID having the kids at home, in some cases, it's been very good because the kids whose influence was mostly with the public schools, they weren't in school. They were home with mom and dad. And in some cases, they sort of got away from the idea and, and went back to their, their self, themselves. In other cases, if the kids are, you know, online all day on online school and then they're online on their phones anyway, on TikTok and all the Instagram and the different and YouTube, there, there is just a whole community of YouTube, TikTok the, and the social media that the kids particularly are attracted to. That is this transgender community. And they have these influencers 
in the community and the kids will go on and watch these videos and the kids, the, the kids will talk about, oh, I started a girl's day. I started my testosterone and boy, it is cool stuff. Oh, it's great. Or they, they talk about having their breasts removed and they they're have their shirt off and they say, well, isn't this great? I am like a guy now. I have a flat chest. You need to, you know. And then, and then also one of the things we, we know from the case in Arizona is there's videos out there too where they teach the kids how to manipulate the parents. And if they don't manipulate them, they, how to call CPS on them. And so the, this is a whole underground, so to speak, community. And the kids get in there. And if they're already vulnerable or you know, susceptible, they're feeling left out, they're feeling, we all know how puberty makes you feel. Okay, you know, it's like, okay, whose body is this? Well, they play on that because these kids, maybe if they don't have a good peer group or their parents aren't, aren't supportive and, and really vigilant, then they'll have these people on the internet and say, oh yeah, I felt that way too. And you know, and then I started on testosterone and boy, am I great doing great now. It's just, you would not believe how wonderful it is. From a legal counsel perspective, what should parents be looking for? What is it that we seem to be missing right with our own children? Uh, well, it, being, being vigilant, of course, with internet use, which these days can be very difficult because most kids have a phone. But of course, just because they have a phone doesn't mean they have to have full-blown access to the internet. Uh, and of course, they're on their Chromebooks for school and that comes in. So being vigilant about what, you know, knowing their passwords, going in and checking their, their history, knowing what they're on, um, having good, good discussions about body image and I mean, if you're, you know, if you're a Christian, obviously going to scripture and what God, you know, what God says in the Bible about male and female and being made in his image and being beautiful if you're made in his image and you, he doesn't make mistakes. And that kind of, so that can be very important. Uh, and then being vigilant with their friends, which, you, you know, if, if you sent, you always trust your gut. I know Judith Reisman used to say, you know, the degrees you need are the MOM degree and the DAD degree. And that's it. Use your MOM and DAD degrees. To, and if it doesn't feel right, then start looking at who their friends are, what kind of family life their friends have, that kind of thing. Uh, and then schools, again, can be really difficult because they're getting very deliberate about hiding things. But you just have to be a pest. And you just have to go in and, and require, you know, I, I need to see this curriculum. And as, as you learned from Debbie DeGroff, not just the curriculum, but the library books and the what are they being assigned to read and make sure you know the content. And if you object to it, let your objection be known and opt them out. And if the schools balk at that, then you have to make the hard decision of pulling them out of public school and homeschooling them or private school or tutor or whatever. And that requires a lot of sacrifice, but that's what needs to happen because the public schools are just becoming increasingly toxic. And sometimes there's no way to do, to do anything about that 
quickly becoming that there's no way to do anything about that because it's so um, infiltrated in all, and it's deliberate. You can opt your kid out of sex, of sex ed class or health class or quote unquote, but then they'll have English lessons talking about Heather's two mommies or daddy's boyfriend or uh, read the books about I am jazz or what, uh, this transgender boy who wears purple. And, and that'll just be an English class or reading class. So it's just, you have to just really be vigilant. And if you absolutely cannot pull your child out of public school, you've got to just really be in the school's face, so to speak, about what is being taught to your child. And if you can't prevent it from being taught, you can, when they come home, you know, you sit down with them and say, this is not what we, what we believe. This is not true. And, and you need to understand and then have good resources at home, of course, the Bible or books that are, are good to bring them back and make them be critical thinkers. Obviously, that's something they're not getting in school either, is to say, now I know that your teacher said, or, you know, this lesson had this lesson about homosexuality or transgenderism, but you need to know here's, you know, that that's really not the best for you. We want the best for you. And he, here's what you need, you know, you need to sit down and read about these other things that happen when you do that and, and the problems that they have. And there are, fortunately, there are a growing number of networks and places on the internet of young men and women, mostly women, who have fallen into this transgender cult, but came out of it and have what they call detransitioned or desisted, depending on how far along they went. And then they are getting on the internet and they are telling their stories. And, you know, um, and some of them are like, you know, 20 year old girls and they were 15 and they went through all of this. And then they're like, wait a minute, no, this is not correct. And so they need to do that. You know, there are so many amazing stories of people who have found Christ and come out of this transgender madness. Mm -hmm. This, these stories are so suppressed by big tech and the mainstream, I don't even call it the mainstream, the legacy media, if you will. Um, because they're, they're all, they're all serving their master, the devil, mm -hmm. right? You're, you, you can only serve the Lord or not the Lord and not the Lord is Satan. And so you either stand with him or you don't. And I'm so amazed uh, to listen to somebody like Mary. You want to talk about a warrior mm -hmm. who stands on the front lines. The things that she talked about in this episode that she deals with on behalf of clients, it's heartbreaking stuff. Mm -hmm. But she's a, she is a strong, strong woman. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to know her. And I'm excited, too, to uh, bring you part two on Thursday with uh, Mary McAllister. Let's give a quick listen to what you're going to hear on Thursday. Well, now you have this authority figure who's in there teaching them these obscene topics and teaching them things that are polar opposite to your family values. And, and then you have this five or six or seven-year-old child whose brain isn't is in any way near fully developed to, to be able to differentiate about the right and the wrong. So they're thrown into complete confusion. 
Well, thank you for sticking around to the end. We'll be back again on Thursday to pick up part two of this four-part series with Mary McAllister and her experience and expertise in child and parental rights. Visit our website, fearlessfeatures.org, to subscribe to this show so you never miss an episode. Fearlessfeatures.org is also a great place for you to share your support for this podcast with a one-time or monthly donation as we are a listener-supported program. So that's all the time we have for today, friends. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a wonderfully blessed day. 